has given us a unique and, and wonderful access to these promises, and I certainly don't want us to miss out on the encouragement that he gives us. And so as I've continued to meditate and pray over Isaiah 61, uh, these are some thoughts that I wanted to share with you, and, and I don't believe they're just my thoughts. I believe that they're revelation from God for us on how we move forward in establishing the kingdom on earth and preaching the gospel to all nations. Amen? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead, if you were here last week, a little bit of this will be review for you, but how many of you know repetition is the mother of all learning, right? So here we go. This is Luke 3, 21 through 22. The backdrop here is I'm about to share with you several things that happened with Jesus during the three years that he walked with the disciples as he laid out basically the main thing for the disciples coming into his ministry and then, and then walking with them and teaching them in themes. And you'll notice in the New Testament that the Lord consistently comes back to covenant and kingdom, covenant and kingdom, covenant and kingdom. Why don't you just say that? Amen. You guys are paying attention. Thank you. So Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and this is where he begins now, uh, right before he, he, he starts his ministry. Uh, he's, this is in the very beginning, so we're starting right there, Luke 3. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Did you guys know in the prophets, there's a scripture that says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and make your name known to your enemies. Right here, it just happened. You live under an open heaven. And a voice came out of heaven saying, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. And Jesus, moving forward now, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So Jesus is, is shown by the Father. He's affirmed as a son of God. How many of you guys realize and understand that you're a son or a daughter of God? Yes? That is your primary identity. There is no higher title or identity that you can attain to. Everything that you're doing, everything that's valuable about, valuable about you flows out of the reality that you're a son or a daughter. And Jesus needed to be affirmed just as we do that he is indeed God's son before he could move forward in his ministry. And he was. And then he also was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we all need to understand something. It is absolutely impossible for us to do any of the things that God asks us to do unless we are filled with the Spirit of God. We are, he is the firstborn of many. We are just like him. He needed to know who he was and what he was about. We need to know who we are and what we're about. He needed to know that he was his father's child. We need to know we're our father's child. He needed to be empowered with the Holy Spirit in order to do anything. We need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit in order to do anything. You guys with me? Okay, so Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues, and he was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus was in the custom of going to church. I'm just preaching to all the six-weekers today. Jesus was in the custom that on the Sabbath, he went to church. It's a Selah. Moving on. And he stood up to read, and the book of prophet, the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down in the eyes of all, 
in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now you notice where Jesus left off because Isaiah 61 has some other parts to it. But Jesus, he says this, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he stopped before he got to the statement and the day of vengeance of our God. Now this is significant because Jesus was saying, I am not going to overthrow Rome. I am not going to come and set up the kind of kingdom you think that I'm going to set up. It is much, much bigger than that. And he stopped there because he was saying, in this day, this ministry is being released in the earth. You guys with me so far? Okay, so then we're going to continue on now on this tour of Jesus' ministry as he's teaching the disciples. And we all know the mandate from the disciples was, you, disciples means learner, essentially lifelong learner. You lifelong learners need to go out and make lifelong learners. And I'm teaching you, I'm learning you up on what you're going to learn them up on. It's kind of a paraphrase there is amplified. So he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. So Jesus lays out what his ministry is. He says, in this day, the scripture has been fulfilled. This is what the ministry looks like. And then he tells his disciples who are to make disciples that they're going to do greater works. And he says this too. Look here. He doesn't say just you guys speaking to his disciples. He says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now he says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now this is an interesting and very important part for us because we live in essentially a very pluralistic culture. In other words, you know, we, we hear a lot of things like, <clears throat> you know, it's all good. How many of you guys have heard that statement? Ah, it's all good. Okay. Well, it's not all good. That's a stupid statement, isn't it? It's a very stupid statement. Well, it's all good. No, it's not all good. Some things are really bad. Some things are really good. But in a pluralistic society, you can't tell people what's good and bad. What you can do is you can just add to. It's like, well, this is good for you. You know, that's cool for you. That's good. But, this, but, you know, this other thing is good for me. Well, Jesus shows up and he says, listen, it's not all good. I'm not going to let you have a whole bunch of things going on and pretend like you love me. Because I'm telling you, if you love me, there's some things I hate. And I want you to hate them too. And so he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So he makes it pretty straightforward. This is important because we're not expanding our own kingdoms. We're not expanding our own ideas. We're not expanding our own agendas. We're not expanding our own favorite political pets. We are expanding his kingdom. And we can only expand his kingdom if we love him. And you know how we know that we love him? We do what he commands us. All right, so what does he command us? This, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And you're my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, why did he make them known? Because they were his friends. And how do we know they were his friends? Because they did what he commanded them. I know I'm kind of grinding it in here, but this is huge for us because the truth is we actually have some bad habits here. I know it. Say bad habits. I know, right? There are. We have these bad habits of thinking that what we think is most important. We do. We actually think we get to determine what reality is. It's like, well, I'm just not very cool with that. Oh, dude, thank you. God bless you. Oh, man. And this is my John Mills shelf right here. This used to not exist. John spoke to this that was not as though it was, and it became... No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. I tell you all things because you're my friends. How did you become my friend? Because you're actually up to what I'm up to. How many of you guys have friends that you have come over to your house who don't respect you, don't like you, do the opposite of what you want to do, and pretty much stand for everything you're against, and you're just like, please, come over, hang out. I want to entrust you with my children. <laughs> no, not at all. You, you are friends with people who come over and they love like you love and they're kind like you're kind, etc. Well, what's the same thing with Jesus? So he's telling him, this is how I roll. This is who I am. This is how you will roll. This is how you know that you're with me. You guys with me? Okay. I love it. But I tell you the truth. Now, this is moving forward now in this three-year journey. He says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. The Holy Spirit is the one that works in this earth right now to help people to believe in God. You cannot talk someone in to believing in God. You can speak the truth in love and the Holy Spirit works within someone and they will believe in God. He says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. When Jesus was on the earth, he was the example of the righteousness of the Father. Remember, he said, if you see me, you see the Father. Well, he's with the Father now, so now what are they going to look for? They're going to look at the Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit manifest? Manifests in us, but also supernaturally in their heart. So they are convicted then that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And of course, each of us have experienced that because we have repented and here we are born again because of that very work of the Holy Spirit. And concerning judgment, and this is where it starts getting really fun, because the ruler of the world has been judged. The Holy Spirit comes and shows that Satan has been judged. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now he said to them, these are my words which I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus comes and says, see all these things that were written? They had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, say all the nations, all the nations. beginning from Jerusalem. So he's saying this, 
this gospel of what I just shared, all the things that I've shared with you, is going to be proclaimed, the repentance of forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in my name to all nations, starting in a city, starting in Jerusalem. And he says, you're witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So we're going to summarize real quick, and then we're going to jump in, and we're going to start off where we left off two weeks ago. First, he says, greater things you're going to do, and and we're going to unpack what those greater things are. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. You need to wait for the Spirit because you can't get anything done without the Holy Spirit. And then, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, you're going to actually disciple nations. You are going to make lifelong learners by you being a lifelong learner. You are going to become a disciple, and you're going to make disciples, and you're going to start in the cities in order to disciple the nations. And he says, go to Jerusalem, wait until you're endued with power from on high. And we know, of course, what happens, right? Now, Jesus came and he brought Isaiah 61 and he starts his ministry by opening up the word and he opens up to Isaiah 61 and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He starts out and he says, this is the ministry that I began. And the ministry that I began, I started with these individuals. I began with those who were marginalized and broken and captive and in prison. And what did he do? We know what he did. He came and he defeated death and sin, didn't he? He came and he died and he rose again and he led captives in his train. In that time, I mean, this is an amazing part that we sort of skip over. But when Jesus rose from the dead, there were several people actually that sprang out of the grave. The power of Jesus getting raised from the dead, the, the collateral blessing that, that, that shot out through the different tombs, people that were dead came out of their graves and appeared to others and probably freaked the bejeebers out of them, but also they, they gave testimony of what Jesus' life was. He was the firstborn of many. So he comes out and he leads captives in his train. He gives gifts to men. He brings freedom And of course, we know the key thing that Jesus brought, the freedom that he brought was he actually took the curse of sin off of us and began to release us then of agents of his kingdom once we'd been born again. So he started with individuals. Now, but we know that Jesus just said, but these things that I've done, greater things you will do. Greater things you will do. So we, so we see the list. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Okay, so what are the good tidings? That Jesus Christ came, that he rose again, that there's forgiveness of sins, that you, that you belong to a family, that you can be adopted into that family. And that's fantastic. And Jesus did that. And indeed, we're doing that. But, but it's interesting because although we are doing that, I can't really see how we could do that greater than Jesus. I mean, he said greater things, and we're doing what he did, but how would we do this greater? This is just a thought. I want you guys to just think with me for a little bit here. It goes on. To preach good tidings to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And, and indeed, we've seen Jesus heal a lot of brokenhearted people, didn't we? 
And in fact, we are engaged as well as a house. We, we have uh, restoration so you can come in and, and find out where you got hurt and you can learn how to forgive and you can realize that there was an enemy of your soul who's been trying to destroy you from the beginning. And, and that's something that we do together as a house and that, we, that we've seen many, many people who are brokenhearted come in and get healed from their broken heart because, because they found out they were in a war and, and they were collateral damage and they didn't even know it. Or maybe they prayed a prayer and then they ended up with a much bigger enemy than they realized was going to happen. You know, it's like you're cruising along. And how many of you guys know when you pray a prayer and ask Jesus to become your savior, all of a sudden your buddy Satan is not so friendly anymore? Because before he's just like, it's all good. Do what you want to do. He's the originator of the it's all good. And then all of a sudden he doesn't listen to his own it's all good gospel anymore. And he's like, except for that, that is not good. We are enemies now. He starts attacking you. Well, you learn that in restoration, that you have an enemy. And so we're engaging in that. We're, we're healing up the brokenhearted as a people, as a family, as a tribe. We have the sozo ministry, which simply means saved, healed, and delivered. Why? Because people need to be healed inside. If, you, if, you, if you've entered into the family, but, but you still believe tremendous lies about how life works or, or you've been deeply wounded as a child or maybe you've been deeply wounded by a, a person in authority, a position of authority or a, or a pastor or something and, and you still haven't worked through replacing those lies with the truth, you guys, you, you know how painful that can be because every time you get around someone who's in authority, if you've been hurt by someone in his authority and you get around them, how weird you act, right? Sort of like stupid bosses. I hate bosses. They're all idiots. It's like, you want to take a perfectly good human being and, and make them into an idiot? Just promote them. The minute they have authority, they're idiots. Well, you guys, maybe the problem isn't with everybody who gets promoted. Because you're like good friends with them until they get promoted. And I wonder where that's broken. Well, that probably speaks to a wound, huh? It probably speaks to a wound. And so, and so we've joined Jesus in the ministry of healing the brokenhearted proclaiming liberty to the captives, and, and it's a beautiful ministry, and it's fantastic, and I, I can't tell you, there's just testimony after testimony after testimony of people who have come through and, and spent a couple of hours in the Sozo ministry just in, encountering God and having a couple of people standing with them as they exchange truth for lies, and sometimes it happens right on the spot, and sometimes it happens over the next few days as, or the next few weeks or even the next months as they're, as they're processing through this, this new information. It's like, could that be true? And so we're joining Jesus in healing the brokenhearted and proclaiming liberty to the captives, and it's beautiful. And, and this is the reason why we do it, because Isaiah 61 is the ministry that the Lord released in the earth. He said, in this day, the scripture is fulfilled. This is what I'm up to. And so we're joining him in doing that. And we meet together in homes because he says that he puts the fatherless into families. And so every trimester we get together and we do everything from silly things where we can laugh together to doing a C.S. Lewis book club or, or maybe learning how to do finances because how many of you know that poverty wasn't God's idea? God didn't think up, you know what will get them real blessed if they ain't got no money and then they'll just have to trust me. That was not God's idea. Us being powerless and stressed out, that, that wasn't his idea. Us being easily manipulated by, by, by governments that will hand us other people's money, not God's idea. I'm glad that we have a government and that we're a people who want to help people when they're in trouble. But you've got to understand there's an inherent danger when you can vote to get someone else's money. That, that wasn't God's idea. You understand what I'm saying? Talking about wisdom here. So we're joining God in his ministry and we're, we're doing Financial Peace University so that you can become powerful and free. And that's beautiful, but at the same time, I don't see that as greater. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Because he said greater things, didn't he? And these are good things. They're exactly like him. Let's keep doing it. I want to I just, we can speak amongst ourselves here, yeah, can we? Can we process together a little bit? I really believe that the things I'm about to share with you, many of us have received a very one-dimensional teaching or, or a one-dimensional conversation or, or a one-dimensional, we've read a book about it or an article about it, and we sort of look at that and we think, well, that's so stupid. Like, that's such a... It's, it's like a straw man. You guys know what a straw man is, right? It's where you, you have this one-dimensional argument that doesn't really hold up to any scrutiny, and so then you just push the straw man over, and so from then on, you can say, oh, yeah, we already thought about that idea, and it totally failed. And most of us have heard about this idea of Isaiah 61 and the way that I'm about to lay it out to you, and, and we may have only heard one dimension, and so, so we think to ourselves, well, that's so childish. That's so, it's so simplistic. That's so idealistic. So that, we already know that doesn't work. I mean, we thought about that for a minute, but it was so naive that we've, we've moved on beyond that. Things are much more complex. And what I'm asking you to do is I'm, I'm asking you to, to go ahead and say, okay, you know what? Someone who's made a one-dimensional argument about anything clearly isn't, isn't presenting a very good argument, are they? And, and so I can understand why one might reject that idea because they look at that and they go, well, that's so, so silly all by itself like that, that how could I possibly think that that, that, there could be, that that idea could speak to anything worth knowing about or worth implementing? But I'd like to suggest today that, that maybe it was a fantastic idea and maybe it was pointing to something that was true, but because it was presented in such a poor way, We've actually rejected something that was true. Let me give you an example. My, uh, my daughter, when she was eight years old, my daughter's a, a fantastic artist, and, and she would draw these great pictures for an eight-year-old. You know, she'd draw a tree or, or a sun, and, and maybe she would choose, I'm probably going a little too old, actually, eight. Let's go younger. Let's go four. And so she gets her crayon out, and she draws a picture of the forest. Now, I can look at that little one-dimensional drawing, right? Actually, it would be two dimensionals, wouldn't two, two dimensions. So even at a two dimension, I'm going to give her two dimensions because she was way ahead of her time with her crayons. And I look at it and I'm like, the sun's not made out of wax. This is ridiculous. Colored wax, really, Mercy? I don't think that there's really a sun. If you're saying this is what the sun is like and this is how you're presenting it to me, then that's stupid. I don't believe in the sun because the sun would have to be a lot hotter than colored wax on a piece of paper right? But of course, I realize that mercy is simply presenting to me an idea about a reality. And many of us have looked at the kingdom of heaven, and we've heard one or two dimensions, and the person that's telling us about those dimensions, they're really excited about it, and we all have a tendency to pick our favorite dimensions and share those. And many of us have been presented with those, and then when we look at that and we say, yeah, but that's there's got to be more information instead of, instead of landing there. Because remember, we have an enemy of our souls. Instead of landing there and saying, well, what would be the rest of the story? What would wisdom look like with this idea? Does this idea speak to something that's true and, and brilliant? Instead, we look at that and go, well, that's naive and silly. That's just nothing but colored wax. And so I don't believe in that nonsense anymore. Are you guys with me? And so I want to ask you to say, okay, then let's take wisdom and let's take a look at what greater things might look like. And let's not be one-dimensional. I'm going to do my best to not be one-dimensional. But if I'm going to speak of something, even if I could only speak of something in three dimensions, it's only three dimensions. Even that is extraordinarily simple, isn't it? 
So I'm just saying, as we talk about this, please don't misunderstand me and think that I'm trying to give you this full, complete, robust, lovely, actual reality picture. You're going to have to take your lifetime. That's what we're doing. We take our lifetime and we say, Lord, what are the many multifaceted, glorious dreams that you have to establish your kingdom? Does that make sense? And so I want to exchange some of our straw man ideas that maybe we've left behind and say, well, wait a minute. Let me, yeah, let's get rid of the idea that it would just be one dimensional, but if that were just one of the dimensions, let me pick that back up and say, you know what, Mercy? Your picture made with colored wax has inspired me to think about solar energy, right? It's inspired me to think about a better way to farm, all right? So let's go on that journey in all of 10 minutes that we have. So Jesus lays this out, and you can see how we're joining together with Jesus' ministry to establish these things, just in the few examples that I've given, all of which are a beautiful part of what we're engaged in. But then he goes on. He says, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, the day of vengeance of our God, we know that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. So who is God going to get vengeance on? The enemy of our souls. And we know that Jesus, when he was here, he said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. And we know that he also said that the devil comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Now, who do you think he wants to kill? Y'all. Right? Anybody that God loves, so that's us. Who do you think he wants to steal from? God and us. And who do you think he wants to destroy? Us and everyone we love. So then Jesus came and he said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. So let's do a little reverse engineering and look at Isaiah 61. First of all, he says, we're going to bring... Now, I want to be very clear. There is an actual day of vengeance of our God. There will be an actual day, the great and terrible day. We are in the last days, which is the great and awesome season. If you go back and read, it says great and awesome, and then it says great and terrible. We're in the great and awesome. These last days are great and awesome. There's amazing things going on. There will be a day when Jesus comes, and he will make all things right. So I'm not preaching a utopia on earth where there is no conflict. You want to be really clear about that. However, Jesus did call us to a specific kind of ministry, and this is the picture of it. So we're proclaiming that God has sent Jesus Christ and said, I was, God was in Christ reconciling the world back to him, and it says this. How does it say it? By not counting their sins against them. And Jesus said, go and proclaim this gospel, the repentance of sins for forgiveness, so are you guys catching what kind of ministry we're part of? It's good news that you can be restored back to God. And as we do this, there's some particular things that we do. And we do it in myriad different ways. But they are the ministry of God. And one of them is to comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Now, God has promised that he will restore Zion. There were years and years and years where there was no Israel. 
And scholars were just doing some major mental calisthenics to try to work it out so that the Bible could be true and there be no Israel at the same time. And it was very hard. How many of you remember some of this stuff? I guess not a lot of you, but it, it's pretty hard to work out the promises of God when there is no Israel. 1948, can a nation be born in a day? Poof, there's Israel all of a sudden. Pretty extraordinary. But how many of you guys know that the promises that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he's given, we are, not, they, we are grafted into that one new man. He says, I will create one new man. So the promises, and, and, and Paul goes on to say, and I don't have time to expound too much on this, but he, he goes on to say that God has brought in blessing, brought in, that's a word, somebody write that down, he's brought in it down, that God brought blessing first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And, and, and Paul goes on to say, do not become proud because if God was willing to graft you in, how much easier would he pull you out and graft them back in? And he's saying what? We've all been grafted into Christ. And the promises that God has given to Israel, he will keep those promises. And it's pretty important that we understand that about our dad. Because imagine if you're serving a dad who made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then just sort of conveniently forgot. He's like, yeah, well, I don't know. It was pretty hard. It was just sort of convoluted. It was more of a spiritual language. I'm not really going to keep my promises. Why are we serving that God? I'm just saying, if we believe that we've replaced, completely replaced Israel, then he's a God who doesn't keep his promises, and you've got the wrong God. I just want you to think this through for a minute. I'm covering a ton of stuff. Are you guys having fun? Okay, so let's get back to Isaiah 61. So this is the God who keeps his promises. The reason why I'm bringing this all together is because it's important that you understand these promises are first for actual Jerusalem. But we are grafted into that one new man through Christ Jesus. So there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, right? So we're one new man in Christ. This is good news. But when we read these promises, it's very important that we understand that we say yes and amen, God, to your promises over Jerusalem. And we say, and we know, Lord, that if you're going to do this for Jerusalem, then you're also going to do this for other cities. If you're keeping your word for these that you love, we know then you will keep the word for us who you love because you have grafted us in to the same root, which is God and Jesus Christ. You guys with me? So this is a good God. But let's look at some of these promises. So we're going to comfort all who mourn. That's part of the ministry of what we're doing. We're going to console those who mourn in Zion. We are going to give beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. How many of you guys remember when you got saved? Do you remember the spirit of joy that came upon you? I mean, you seriously were like, I'm having a hard time staying inside of my own skin. I mean, everything's amazing. Everything. The oil of joy for mourning, instead of being so, so sad and crying, now you're happy about everything. And you're still crying. You're like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> the garment of praise for the, spitty, the, spirit of, the, spitty, the spirit of heaviness. I'm not even sure how I came up with that. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God is exchanging one thing for the other. And we are walking in this. We're part of this ministry. We're extending this. Now, I want to show you something beautiful. 
So these are all the things that happen. We're, we're, we're going from, in fact, I think I listed them. Okay. Now notice that the individuals who were just healed then become something else. We just saw a list of these individuals. Jesus came and he preached the gospel to all of these individuals, these groups, right? And they're getting healed. And he spent, like, I think I told you guys a couple weeks ago that if you accumulated, some, many scholars believe if you accumulated the time based on God's schedule of what he spent, he spent like 18 months alone with the disciples on all those interim times. And the rest of the time he was in public ministry. He spent a tremendous amount of time with 12 people. And during that time, he did this in their lives. And then out of that, they came and began to do this in other people's lives. And because of the faithful ministry of Jesus Christ through the disciples, here we are. And we're joining Jesus in that same ministry doing these things. So now you notice that these individuals who are just healed then become something. So once they're healed from a broken heart, they're set free, they're unbound, they're given beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for heaviness. It says this, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then they shall rebuild the old ruins and raise up the former desolations, and they will repair the ruined cities, say cities, now, we have to move beyond Jerusalem at this point because it doesn't say they will rebuild the ruined Jerusalem. That will happen. That is happening. But it says ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. That's starting to sound. You know what I noticed that Jesus didn't do while he was on this earth? He didn't rebuild any cities. Who are in cities? Somebody said it. People. Who does God like? Yes. He made a whole earth and said, it is good. And then he made people and said, it's very good. And then he gave people a job and said, cultivate it and care for it. Be fruitful and multiply. I like kids. I like you. I want to see what your babies look like. And I want to know them and I want them to know me. Because I'm the best grandpa ever. And Jesus came back and he destroyed the curse in man. And then he says, now you go and just start destroying the curse on earth. The Holy Spirit has judged the God of this earth. There's still a war on. You do have an enemy. But your ministry is to destroy the works of the devil. And you will have vengeance on my enemy. In the word it says, he says to this, And the Lord said to my Lord, come and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Who's making God's enemies? Who's making Jesus' enemies his footstool? Raise your hand. It's you. You're doing it. And how are you doing it? By destroying the works of the devil. And how do you destroy the works of the devil? You invest in individuals and you rebuild cities. I'm excited because I live in a place called Junction City. Now I'm slightly more excited because I don't live in Track Town. I live in Junction City. Some of you are tracking with me. <laughs> How beautiful is this? Greater things you will do. Greater things you will do. Now, we're going to continue in this theme. And we're going to talk about the many dimensions of what it means to rebuild a city. 
But the first thing that we have to do, the first thing that we have to understand is that it's okay for us to dream over our cities. Many of us have grown up with the straw man of a one-dimensional approach to the kingdom on earth. And so we've misunderstood. I think a great example um, of, of, actually, no, I can't get you going down this road. Let me, let me, I'll talk about that later. When we try to be too cavalier or overly simplistic or idealistic in our approach without looking at the whole gospel, the whole word of God and its wisdom, like, in other words, if we try to run a city but we've never read Proverbs, that just seems foolish, doesn't it? You know, if, if, if I'm going to try to run a city and I ignore the wisdom of ages, one of the authors being, in the Bible's words, the wisest man that ever lived, and he happened to have written a few things down about how to run a city. And I'm like, I don't need that. I got Jesus. He'll just get everyone drunk in the spirit in our city, and we'll all roll around, and when we get up, we'll love each other. Well, I hope that happens because that would just be fun. But I also think we probably should apply some wisdom. And I think we might want to be involved in some deep ways. And we want to be informed and we want to be wise in what God wants to do. Here's the takeaway that I want you to, to walk away with. Number one, I believe that the scripture shows us that God is completely and absolutely committed to rebuilding cities, to raising up former desolations, to repairing the ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. And that if we're to join Jesus in his Isaiah 61 ministry, we have to have a dream that goes beyond simply holding out in a little holy huddle until he comes back and rescues us. Because he said the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast. And a woman hid it in the dough, and she kneaded it in. And wherever the yeast was, all the dough rose. The dough is the culture. It's the city. It's the place where you live. And we are the yeast. And everywhere that we are, as we begin to bring wisdom, as we begin to bring the kingdom solution, everything rises. You cannot dispute I mean, I actually, I would love to challenge anyone here that would like to because it will be really great for you to go do the research and get really encouraged that you cannot dispute the fact that everywhere the gospel of the kingdom goes, the level of health and beauty goes upward because that's the nature of our father and that's the nature of his followers. You will inherently bless the city even if you don't believe in it. Just because you're there, you'll be honest. When you run a business, you will do what you say that you will do. When you, when you show up to dream and you look around and there's a dirty water problem, you start thinking it's your problem because you're a kingdom individual. Now, I have much more to say, and I already want to say I admittedly have told you these are only a couple dimensions, so we're going to have to take some time and talk about many more dimensions so that you don't go away feeling like you just heard another idealistic, sim overly simplistic picture of reality. And so I'm telling you, no, this is just a couple of the dimensions of the ministry of Jesus Christ and what he's called us to do in Isaiah 61.
But I want you to walk away and I want you to say, Lord, I need you to help me to see my cities, to see your kingdom, to see reality the way that you've asked me to do this by virtue of your scripture because I want to be in line with what you're seeing, not with a silly argument that I've heard in the past or not even with my experience in maybe trying some of these things and losing some battles and then deciding I've lost a couple of battles and so this must not be true. You cannot lower the truth down to your current level of experience, can you? And so today I simply want to say this is a large part of some of the greater things that we get to do. And Jesus Christ has said that we would. Not Joshua Rivas, but Jesus Christ. And for that reason, I'm very encouraged. Are you? I'd like to ask the prayer servant team to come forward. If you need more healing in your body, or if you need encouragement, or if maybe you haven't met this king who sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, and this is everlasting life, that you would know him now and forever. Anyone on the prayer servant team can walk you through that introduction. And in the meantime, know that you are about your father's business. And everywhere you're going, someone has an opportunity to encounter the love of Christ because the spirit of God dwells in you and you are a part of rebuilding cities. Please take the time to fill out those little cards and pop them in the basket because we also want to continue to make coordinated efforts to serve the city, part of that wisdom upgrade. So I love you guys. Are you encouraged? All right. You're looking pretty sharp. I'm still on. <laughs> I'm still on.